Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Crazy Money. This is your host, Paul. My guest this week is Laura Wasser, whom People Magazine described as the celebrity of celebrity divorce attorneys, which makes complete sense considering her client list. According to Wikipedia and many other sources, Laura has handled cases for A-listers like Angelina Jolie, Kim Kardashian, Johnny Depp, Ryan Reynolds, Dr. Dre, Kevin Costner, Maria Shriver, and Jimmy Iovine, among many others. And while the phrase celebrity divorce attorney might conjure up images of a rapacious shark in Prada boots squeezing every last dollar out of her client's ex-husbands or ex-wives, Laura actually preaches the gospel of divorce with dignity. Her book, It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself, is a jungle guide for ending a marriage while preserving decency values and a couple's wealth. As she writes, the more acrimony, argument, and angst, the more money your attorney makes. In other words, don't pay your lawyer $1,000 an hour to figure out who gets the stupid Roy Rogers wagon wheel coffee table as made famous in that scene from When Harry Met Sally. Her book is a plea to all those going through one of the most stressful human experiences possible to summon your best self and think about who you want to be post-divorce. I'm not planning on getting divorced, knock on wood, and all that kind of stuff, but I highly recommend her book for anyone who is uh, going through the process or considering it because there's a lot of just really important objective stuff in there about what divorce means and subjective stuff about how you should conduct yourself if you have to go through that experience. Very sincere thanks to my former Facebook colleague, Matt Jacobson, for making the connection to Laura. Jake, I appreciate you being so generous with your incredible network. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Laura Wasser. I'm married 15 years. I hope this never happens. Clarifying caveats up front. <laughs> Asking for a friend, yes. Let's just say a guy like me comes into your office for a consultation. I'm clearly aggravated. I've been crying. I'm sweating. I look unhappy. I look a little bit off balance. And I say to you, Laura, I've just found out that my wife is cheating on me. I think she might be hiding money. I want a divorce. I don't want her to get one red cent and I don't want her to ever see our kids again. How does that conversation go? I think one of the reasons that you're here is because you know that I'm going to be realistic with you and notwithstanding the fact that your wife may not have been a very good spouse because she cheated on you and that's shitty. She may still be a good parent and the state of California is a no-fault state, so she still is likely going to have joint custody of your children and all of what you and she earned during your marriage is community property, even though she cheated on you. And if you are the breadwinner, you're going to pay her spousal support, which may well go towards the person that she cheated on you with so that they can go on a nice vacation or nice dinners. How's that? Wait a minute. No fault, but it is her fault, Laura. Clearly it's her fault. Are you in therapy? Because you should be in therapy. This is a difficult time. There's a lot to work out, a lot of heartbreak. And a therapist is much more qualified to deal with those feelings that you're having right now. I'm able to help you with the law. And even though it's her fault, and I agree, we can talk shit about her for a long time here, but at $1,000 <laughs> an hour, that's not the best use of our time. But Laura, I came to you because you're known as being a celebrity divorce attorney who wins, that you're a shark. Why are you telling me all this, all this balanced, human, long-term stuff? I want to win in the short run. 
there, there's not a lot of winning in divorce. What the win is, is getting out with as much of your community estate intact. The win is your kids being okay and spending time with both of you and being well-adjusted. And the win is not being splashed all over the headlines if you are a celebrity and getting it done amicably, not making light of the pain and everything else that's incident to it. It's just, that's not my job. And scene. Thank you very much for doing that. I mean, most of that would have been done by Vicky in the initial call. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to talk me off the ledge. Yeah. You know, I've read your book. It, it doesn't have to be that way. And I was taken, I didn't know what to expect, but as I'm reading, I know Laura Wasser, celebrity divorce attorney, and I know that there are people that say that you were uh, the inspiration for Laura Dern's character and marriage story and all that. And so I'm expecting you're a shark. You're going to tell people how to win in their divorce. And yet what I get from reading it is take a breath, think long-term, think about your family. What percentage of your clients come in hot to your office and, and what are the stages that you walk them through in this process? I'd say, you know, 75% come in hot. I mean, again, things have changed over the past 10 or 15 years with conscious uncoupling and with divorce being less of a taboo and with books like that, which again, that was, that was 10 years ago, but like, there's a lot of books like that. And there are now podcasts about divorce and there are many more ways of getting it done through collaborative divorce and mediation. And you have the do it yourself sites like divorce.com and there's a lot more education. So people are not coming in as hot as they used to, but they still come in and they are upset. And I have to explain to them, like I did to you, what a win is because you don't have those like crushing Perry Mason moments in divorce that you have in other kinds of cases. It just doesn't happen because they're not the same kind of wins and losses. How did the establishment of no-fault divorce change the nature of divorce proceedings? I wasn't practicing then because that was back in the late 60s, early 70s, but it changed a lot. I mean, what you would have back then, and you can understand why that would never work now, is people busting into hotel rooms and taking pictures with the flash, you know, whatever. I mean, the burden of proof on who cheated and who did what was huge. And then there really was a lot of mud slinging and a lot that that really did get crazy. And so, yes, we have cases, particularly in the celebrity realm, that are kind of tried in the media. But judicial officers are like, I don't care if he cheated on you. I don't care if he wore a diaper and clown shoes. Why are you telling me this? It, it makes no difference in terms of dividing a community estate and figuring out what appropriate child and spousal support is. That makes the whole thing cleaner and from a legal perspective. From a legal perspective, it makes it cleaner. And also, like, we try to level the playing field. So, again, you have cases where... You know, if somebody is in a different situation, they may be able to throw more money at the problem and win, but that person is often going to be paying his or her spouse and their attorney's fees too. And what you don't want to do is run up these huge attorney's fees to be, you know, slinging mud. It doesn't make any sense. So yes, it has changed things. And it also, like I said, you can be a terrible spouse. It doesn't mean you're a terrible parent. And so you try to get your clients to start thinking about what life looks like after divorce and how to conduct themselves within that divorce. The next chapter. I mean, that's really what it is. To optimize that next chapter. Yeah. How do you talk somebody down? I mean, like, where does it, what's the process for getting them to start to see that, to to start focusing on the last year and start looking five years down the road? 
It depends what they're upset about. Are they upset about custody stuff? Are they upset about adultery? Are they? I've got people who come in and they're really upset about their spouse gambling. You know, how do we make it right for you going forward? My office is in Century City, West LA, Beverly Hills, Hollywood. Everybody's in therapy already. (laughs) They've probably been in couples counseling already. Their kids are probably in therapy. So. What I really do is, like I did to you, are we really going to spend $1,000 an hour talking about what an asshole is? Where are your friends? Go to dinner with them. Have a glass of wine. Aren't you in a book club? Talk to those people. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying this is not the place for it. Let's talk about what realistic expectations are. I, I have the most unrealistic, actually, in the last five or six years have been breadwinner working women who come in and say, I'm fucking done. I cannot do this anymore. He is an albatross around my neck. I am still making all of the pediatrician appointments, hiring the nannies, arranging the play dates, making school lunches, and I'm working. And he's on the couch in his boxers all day, like working on the great American novel. He hasn't done anything. We are both superstars in grad school, and I can't believe this is happening. Get me divorced. And then I say, okay, let's see what that would look like. He's still going to have the kids half the time. He is probably still going to need a nanny, so you're going to still be paying for that. You're probably still going to be arranging everything because that's how you are. You want to do it because you do it better, you think. And you're going to give him half of everything you have. You are going to give him half of your pension, and you're going to be probably paying him spousal and child support. And they are like, wait, what? I'm the woman. And I'm like, I know, but it kind of doesn't matter. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And then you have people going, oh, my God, I can't even believe that this is happening. Again, the caveat being, I have no plans for divorce. I hope it never happens. But as I'm reading this book, I'm like, these are things you should know before you walk into your lawyer's office, right? Yeah. This is the this is the playbook for how divorce goes. And until you go through it or read this book, you're going to be shocked by all the stuff you haven't thought about, right? Well, let's go back even further than that. These are things you should know before you get married. Isn't <laughs> it crazy to think that? And I do a lot of work with like young women's organizations and law students and stuff like that, prenuptial agreements. I'm not saying everyone needs one, but you certainly ought to know the law in the state where you're getting married and entering into a contract because you are entering into a contract by walking down the aisle and getting married before you get married. You need Mm -hmm. to know, okay, from today on, everything is community property or everything's equitable distribution. From today on, whatever I make is going to be factored into what my income available for support is. I think those things are important. No, you have people, brides that are like, you know, in the weeds about the florist and they're, and they never really know what the support, you know, what their contract is there. And people are like, oh, it's so unromantic. You're entering into a contract either way. It might as well be with terms that, of which you're aware. It's funny. You point out how easy it is to see that a divorce is a transaction, but a wedding is equally as important a transaction. There's just like flowers and shrimp and champagne that distracts us from all that. flowers and shrimp. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You mentioned two terms there, community property and equitable distribution. Can you clarify the difference between those two things? I wish I could. I mean, community property is what California is. And I think there's only like nine states that are community property. And they're mostly Western states. I think it kind of came about by people in covered wagons coming out together. And I think (laughs) that the idea was we're going out West and we're going to have our fortunes together and everything is going to be divided equally. Whereas in some of the older Eastern states, it was family money passed down, whatever. And those, and that's the majority of the states in, in the U.S., are equitable distribution, which 
I am told by my colleagues who practice in equitable distribution states that it is a lot very similar to community property these days, which is it's not so much based on what you did or what you have or whatever. It really is pretty much equal when you've gotten married and how you divide things. But it is not just 50-50 down the line in those states. And in those states, I've actually had colleagues say, it may sound like it's no fault, but when we go in and start arguing about what he or she should be entitled to, we're still talking about things like infidelity or hiding money or whatever else, because then it ain't so equitable to be dividing things in half. As I understand the math for community property, it's what person A and person B respectively brought into the relationship. And then everything that was earned from that point forward is divided in half and supposedly those things. But things get messy. You don't just keep, not everybody keeps separate bank accounts for as long as they've been married. You know, how do you decide what's his and what's hers or what's his and his or or hers and hers? Well, again, a lot of the people we represent, they have business managers. So you should be keeping what is separate, what you bring into the marriage kind of earmarked. Okay, let's say you own a home when you get married. If that home is your separate property, you may make improvements to it or whatever. Yes, that, that is called commingling. But for the most part, and we have a code section where you can trace back and figure out what gets pulled out that is separate property. But for the most part, anything that you brought into the marriage, your your futon that you had in your fraternity, you know, at college, that's your separate property. She made me throw it out, though. Because she knew. She knew one day you could be taking that futon and starting over. She wanted to make sure there was no chance. But, like, remember, remember when Harry had Sally the wagon wheel coffee table? Table, that, wheel, yeah. that, that was separate property, but like all of your trophies and everything, anything you right. bring into the marriage, also anything that you are gifted or inherit during the marriage. So inheritance is kind of easy. Whoever dies leaves you this money at separate property. Gifts are interesting. My dad is and what has been a family law practitioner for years. And whenever he goes to somebody's wedding, he only writes a check to the person whose kid is that he is. I mean, and then I'm like, but it's a wedding present, dad. You know, he's like, no, I want their separate property. But, you know, you have a lot of people in Hollywood that somebody gives you or in the music industry. Somebody gives you a, a car, you know, that's a gift. And you want to make sure that that gift is separate as opposed to being given to the couple as a community property gift. So the term equitable is a synonym for a word that I am guessing you hear a lot. And how many times a month do you hear, but Laura, it's not, not fair. fair. And I said, no, where does it say that it's fair? Does that say that on my business card? It's not fair. None of this is fair. Let's not say fair or equitable. Let's talk about what makes sense. Let's use the word mm. reasonable. What's reasonable. And yeah, it's really not fair. I mean, I have a ton of parents, not so much married people, but people that have kids together that are paying outrageous amounts for a child and how much of that actually is going to support the child versus the person who they had the child with, you know, not fair. That's for sure. I mean, you know, manicures, hair extensions, you know, bags, Mm -hmm. none of that's for the child. You know, you got a roof over your head, you got pampers or huggies formula and maybe a good car seat for the child. That's what the child needs. 18 years, 18 years in New York. It's 21. Even wow. worse. Yeah. We don't quote a lot of Kanye's recent stuff, but the 18 years <laughs> thing is, it resonates, right? It does. And by the way, it's not just what you earn during the period. Keep that in mind, too. If you write a script or a song or you paint a painting during your marriage, that's community property as well. So it's what you create during that time period. So if I have a script or if I write a book that, you know, it sells whatever it sells within the period of our marriage. And then 10 years later, somebody options it and makes a film out of it. My wife gets half of that. 
whatever. Not necessarily I get, the whole half, because my guess is you would probably be helping with some rewrites. Maybe you adapt it. So any post separation or post dissolution services you perform, you would get some credit for that. So it may not be 50-50 down the line, but that's why, I mean, and that happens a lot in Hollywood when you have people, mm-hmm. maybe they do a show and then there's a sequel for the show or a spin-off right. of the show. So we have to include that any incarnation. Years ago, we represented one of the guys that created the Saw franchise, the movies. Now there's a <laughs> Saw roller coaster at some theme park and he gets right. a piece of that action. No one thought of that. I mean, we thought of a lot of things in terms of books on tape and different streaming mm-hmm. but no one thought of a roller coaster so now I, now I gotta have that in my judgments too if there's ever a roller coaster <laughs> yeah wow funny i interviewed the author of the house of gucci which was a book 20 years before it was a movie yeah the book had come and it was basically just sitting there until it got picked up out of the blue and she was like yeah you can make a movie out of that yeah yeah but who knows if she was married or divorced when that was happening and i mean it wasn't foreseeable anyway at the, at the time right I'd like to make a distinction between spousal support and child support because these are important things and they're treated differently by the IRS. Well, not as much anymore. I must have been, how many years ago? I think it was, I want to say a few, but it wasn't. It was more than a few now where spousal support used to be tax deductible. It is no longer tax deductible. If your judgment has you paying tax deductible spousal support, it remains that way. But currently, if you are entering into a judgment, the support will not be tax deductible. So they are not treated differently by the IRS. They may be in the state of California. Spousal is still deductible. Child is just a net number. And that, and it mm-hmm. is what it is. Spousal has some other stuff that can be attached to it that may benefit the payor spouse. And the terms or the length of those obligations for the payee differ based on what? Child support is going to last till a child graduates from high school or turns 18. We have kids that turn 18 during high school. So it's that last is a lot of June support ending. But it doesn't end because if there's three kids, it just reduces and not always by like a third, a third, a third, because you still have to have the same overhead. So it'll reduce. There's a formula. We have guidelines in California for support, for child support. And then spousal support is going to be based on really the level of income and the marital lifestyle, how they live during their marriage. So you can make a ton of money, but you may not have been spending it all on lifestyle. Maybe you were more of a saver. There's a savings component to the lifestyle analysis too, but for the most part, it really is, it's based on available income for support. And part of that is discovery and disclosure. Fun. Yeah. So should I be honest in my disclosure about the assets that I have? 100%. And let me give you a great example of why. There's a famous California case. I think it's before I even started practicing. But during the pendency of the action, post-separation, wife won the lottery. And she did not (laughs) disclose that she had won the lottery. Now, it would have been her separate property anyway, but she didn't disclose it. And as a result, what's called, you know, we put in our judgments, if there's any undiscovered or omitted assets, maybe you just forgot about it, but don't. Anything that wasn't included in here, the court has discretion. So the judge, a guy named Dick Denner, may he rest in peace, was so offended that she did not mention that she had won the lottery. He had the lottery winnings given to the guy. Half of it. All of it. All of it. Oh. <laughs> How much was it? I don't remember. It wasn't as much as it would have been today because it was probably like in the 80s or something. But yeah, so courts have wide discretion over admitted assets. Also, you are signing documents, declarations of disclosure. You sign them under penalty of perjury. 
And these right. days, you know, everyone comes in and says, how do I hide money or is money being, it's very hard. Everything is electronic banking. It's very, very hard to hide money. I did know a story of a woman who literally every morning when her husband was in the shower, she lived in Brentwood, she'd run out to the Versateller, she'd take out whatever the max was, like $300, and she had been squirreling away these $300 cash withdrawals for years, like putting them in a safe deposit box, and then she didn't disclose it, and somehow it came up that he was looking at the bank records, and he's like, what are all these cash withdrawals every single day? She had all this money. That was their money that she was taking out. Oh, man. Okay, so let's just say that my wife and I are worth, let's say we have a household net worth of $5 million. What should a divorce cost? Well, it shouldn't cost, I've had people spend $3 million on the divorce, what's $5 million? It, it really depends. It depends, you know, again, if you guys have been married a long time and your declarations of disclosure are going to pretty much mirror each other because there's nothing that's that different. My feeling, and I always oversimplify, I'm an eternal optimist, as you saw from that book, is you should be able to list your assets, you should be able to get into mediation or do something like on a divorce.com, write everything out, figure it out, make a deal. Now, maybe one of you wants to keep the house, maybe you stay in the house until your youngest has graduated from high school, one person has use of the house, one person lives somewhere else, and we see all kinds of -of out-of-the-box ideas, but technically, you should each take your $2.5 million, whether it's in cash or assets, Go your separate ways. If one of you was earning more than the other, he or she should be contributing to the other person's lifestyle, whether it's with kids or without kids or whatever. It's not rocket science. I mean, I didn't get to be where I am in this field because I'm so intelligent. It's much more about figuring out the best way of doing it that makes sense. And who best to do that but the two people? Should some person in a black robe that's never met you before has a crowded docket and doesn't particularly like the fact that they've been assigned to family law in the first place be making these decisions? <laughs> and and even worse, what about your kids? They should be making decisions about what night your kid's sleeping at your house. They don't know your kids. You should make those decisions. And so that's what we try and to encourage both at the firm and at divorce.com. Think about it. What makes sense? What's reasonable for you? What's a typical upper middle class affluent family spend on a divorce? A hundred thousand? Is it a half million dollars? Like what's an expensive divorce? What's a cheap divorce? It depends. But we were doing research at divorce.com the other day just to figure out if people were doing it on their own, what it would cost. And I think 80% of the divorces in the United States cost over, did she say 40 or 20,000? I mean, and that's a lot of money if you, I mean, just legal fees for just the legal fees. Yes. Now, again, legal fees, I don't, and I don't know about the statistic, if it includes, if you hire like a retired judge or a mediator, if it includes a forensic accountant, sometimes people have child custody evaluations. I don't know if that's all of the professional fees or just the lawyers. But again, what you're doing, if you think about it is you're going through your positions, custody, financial, whatever you're feeding them to somebody who does this all the time, who says, let me think about this. Let's just divide everything in half. And you're like, really? Did I need you for that, dude? If you really were able, if you got the law and you applied the law to your fact situation that you already know, couldn't you do it for so much less? And that, even if you have a lawyer, I'm not saying you have to do do it yourself divorce, but if you're part of this process and you're learning how to do it, it will save you time and money. You keep emphasizing this in the book, and you said something that you know sort of runs counter to the impression that a lot of people probably have about high-powered divorce attorneys. And you say, the more acrimony, argument, and angst, the more money your attorney makes. We profit from your inability to resolve issues. It's true. 
And you go on to say that you actually profit in the long run better when divorces go smoothly because people will then say, you have to work with Laura. She's going to make the process smooth. She's going to make it as painless as possible. That kind of thing. That runs counter to, I think, what most people would think about divorce attorneys. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to fix our image in the world. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. really my job. But yeah, people often say, like, I'm so surprised that you want to be reasonable and work it out. The bottom line is I'm coming up on 30 years of doing this. Yep. I like meeting new people. I like solving problems. I don't like having cases in my office for more than a year, 18 months at the most. It's it's boring. It's the same <laughs> issues. Let's find new issues. Let's work these people's problems out. And let's get them out. And those people in turn, like you said, send me new cases. So maybe it's just my ADD, but it's the ability. And look, if we really can't work it out, I do. I love litigating. I love being in a courtroom. I like winning. So if the other side's really not being reasonable, we'll go to a judge and we'll get it done. But our court system right now is so clogged up that you're a year before even getting any trial dates for things. So it is better to be. And if you're doing numbers in July of 2023, but you don't have a trial until November of 2024, all those numbers are going to be stale anyway. And you can't just tell people, you know, just sit back and wait a year. We'll get back to me next summer. The backlog in court cases, is that COVID related? It was bad before and now it's worse. Yeah. So what you just said brought up an important point. Why is the date of separation such an important thing to understand and maintain? So, and again, the date of separation means different things in different states. In California, the day you separate is the date that one party communicates to the other that this marriage is irremediable. We cannot fix it. And then you start acting like that, whether that means you move to different rooms in the house or you move out of the house, but you're not having sex anymore. You're not going on romantic dates anymore. You may go to dinner together before the parent-teacher conference. That's a different thing. You're figuring out a different way to start paying expenses. You are separated. And what happens then is if you win the lottery the next day or if you sign a new contract the next day or if you just go work on location on a movie set, all that money is going to be your separate property. Those are your post-separation efforts. Now, that's not the case in, for example, Utah. Their date of separation is when you're actually divorced. And I represented an Olympic skier, and she was competing in all of these things. And I kept thinking, oh, thank God she's separated. And my co-counsel in Utah said, all that prize money she's winning, he's getting half of that. We have to oh, get them wow. divorced. Right. Expediency is going to be a massive issue in Utah. <laughs> Yes, which is good because she was a speed skater too. So, I mean, a speed, a speed there you skier. Go. <laughs> All right. What's different when you're dealing with celebrities as opposed to just other high net worth people? You've got more constituents. You've got a publicist in the mix. How does that complicate the issues? Sometimes it complicates them. Sometimes it makes it easier because people in the public eye these days particularly want to appear to be like Gwyneth and Chris, consciously uncoupled. For some reason, mm -hmm. that's kind of become the trend, which is we get along so well. We vacation together. I was at his wedding. Isn't that great? And I can tell you, having attended my ex's wedding last year, it is great. Like it is, It's a much better way to be. It's a much better way for your kids to see you. But it also is better kind of as the trickle down when the magazines talk about, you know, the celebrities and how well they all get along because then the rest of the world goes, Oh, I want to be like them. I want to consciously uncouple too. So it is good. But yes, I do work with the publicist and whoever else because these people, after I'm gone, have to then go out and book their next gig. And it looks better if they are not, 
you know, petty or angry or being arrested for driving under the influence or domestic violence, that's not a good look. So that, you know, like with anything, famous people have a little bit more visibility. So is the biggest change in marital law in the last 10 years, same-sex marriage legalization on a nationwide basis? Yeah, that's probably the biggest change. Now, for people who believe in marriage equality, as I do, it's definitely a, a great step forward just to recognize people's human rights, but it has massive legal implications as well in settling in settling these estates. Can you kind of discuss top-line stuff about how before this was permitted nationwide, how complicated it would be to divide up marital assets? Yeah. Our country likes people being married. So if you're married, you get all kinds of benefits, okay? And that what goes along with those benefits has to do with health and insurance and all that. But it also flows through to divorce. When we divide a community estate amongst two people who have been married for 10 years, you and your wife, 2.5, 2.5. Okay, great. If two people were the same sex and they were together for 10 years and were dividing an estate, all of a sudden the person whose money it is now has to pay tax, a gift tax to the other person because they weren't married. Also, back in the day when spousal support was tax deductible, it was a huge benefit to be paying spousal support because often the payee, the person receiving support, would pay their taxes at a lower rate than the person paying it. So that that was a benefit to not having been married. And it was also an interesting kind of burden of proof because with same sex, if you're living together for a long period of time, you have kids together and you split up and one person sues the other one for what's called palimony in the state, usually it's not going to be a judicial officer just, it'll also be a jury trial because these are civil cases. So if you want a jury trial, so whoever is the decider of fact that person looks at them and goes, well, if you wanted to be married, why didn't you get married? Why are you coming in here now pretending like you were married? But same-sex unions couldn't do that. We did want to be married. You wouldn't let us get married. So now it's a question of how did we intend for our assets to be treated? But yeah, 1041 exchange is much, much better between spouses, tax-free, no gift tax, much easier. And that was what, why I really felt it was important for same-sex same sex marriage and then divorce to become legal, <laughs> you know, more than the human rights. I had a ton of gay friends that were like, well, you never want to get married. Why do we want to get married? And I was like, dude, I don't know. I just, I'm glad you can if you want to. You should have the same right to screw up your life exactly, as everybody as else. everybody else. And for me to take your money <laughs> later, it'd be great. That's right. <laughs> so why is January such a busy month in your office? Because people just get through those holidays and they just think to themselves, I cannot do this one more time. I cannot travel with this person. I cannot spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with his mother. I just, I can't do it. All of those holiday feelings get brought up. And then you have the great, you know, it's a new year. I'm starting fresh. I had a woman that said to me, my new year's resolution was to lose 180 pounds and his name is Dave. Right. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny. I used to work in the digital media business, as you know, with our mutual friend, Matt Jacobson at Facebook. And one of the things you learn is that January is the month that the biggest advertisers are gyms, weight loss, self-improvement, everything that has to do with you know self-renewal in the new year. And reading your book reminded me that sometimes getting out of your marriage yeah. is part of that process. Fresh start. Unfortunately, all those other things you can pretty much do much more quickly than getting divorced. It takes a minute to get divorced. And I think that's yeah. another reason. There are tax reasons. People want to be divorced in a calendar year so the following calendar year they can file separately. If you start in November, probably ain't going to happen this year. Tell me about the pro bono work that you do. 
Most of the pro bono work that I do now is kind of speaking at places and helping, but there's like two or three really, really great nonprofits in Los Angeles, the Harriet Buhai Center for Family Law, Levitt and Quinn, and the Los Angeles Center for Law and Justice. Most of what we do at those places is help people that don't have enough money to hire a divorce lawyer. A lot of them do not speak English as their first language. There's a lot of domestic violence in those. I mean, you got people living in their cars because either they can't afford to buy two different houses or two different apartments, or they're just really scared to go back to where their abuser is living. And so helping those people kind of get through the legal system and divide, maybe coming up with custody plans, definitely coming up with child and spousal support orders is really, really, really important. And a lot of them end up in the same courtrooms as these rich, famous people and they're there. We have to wait for an interpreter to come and speak whatever language that they're speaking to them. The judge can't explain things or offer legal advice, so his or her hands are tied there. It takes a really long time. So the pro bono work not only helps people who really, really need the help, but it also helps move the entire system. And I tell the young attorneys here and young attorneys at law schools that I speak with all the time, not only is it an amazing learning opportunity, it also gives you the kernel of the reward of what you're doing as opposed to just rent, you know, representing a bunch of rich assholes all the time. You really get the feeling <laughs> of this is how I help people. And then what happens is that does translate to the people that you're representing who may not always be rich assholes. They're people who really are scared, just like your pro bono people. I said in some article that came out last week, like, Divorce is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money, how famous, how gorgeous, whatever. Everybody's scared. Everybody is uncertain, has insecurities, both financially, whether it's like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to still fly private, which apparently is very important to some people, or am I going to have a roof over my head? Who's going to go? Who's going to walk the red carpet with me? Or who's going to go to the company picnic with me for Labor Day? Like all of these things, it's all relative and it all matters. Tell me about Divorce.com. How long has it been around and how's that business growing? So I became involved with Divorce.com in, I think, February of 2022 because they acquired the company that I started, which was called It's Over Easy. We started in 2018 and it was kind of just a small company, started in California, then branched out. And then Divorce.com kind of came in with a lot of private equity money and said, let's come and we want to take you. We want you to be the face of it. We need your help figuring out how to do it best for all the states in the U.S. And I've been working with them. It's something I believe in so much because I really do believe what's the expression if you, you know, give somebody a fish, then they have a one meal. But if you teach them to fish, they have not that people should be getting divorced over and over again, but I think with that <laughs> knowledge comes a certain power that you have yeah. in order to start your next chapter. I mean, there's so many less now, but definitely when I started practicing in the nineties, there were plenty of women who would come to me and say, I'm so embarrassed. I could get a reservation anywhere in Los Angeles. I have a private personal shopper at Neiman Marcus. You know, I have a hair person, nail person. I have no idea what my husband earns. I have a credit card that's, you know, linked to his. I don't know anything. And I feel like that abdication of financial responsibility or even knowledge is not as present as it used to be. But I feel like a lot of people, we're kind of out there. We're on the wheel. We're spinning. We don't know what our what we spend every month. We don't know what we pay every month. Figuring out those four corners, which is what you earn, what you spend, what you have, and what you owe in this you know credit-based society that we live in is so important. And I think when you do a, an online divorce, that's the first thing that you zoom in on is those four corners. And when you start your next life, your next chapter, 
you will never do it the same way that you were doing it before after you've been through this experience because you've had to kind of learn, you figure out a budget, you figure out what you want to do, how much you need to do it, etc. And I think it's really, really important and empowering. And I think it makes for better relationships too. What do you want your former clients and as importantly, your former clients' exes to think about you? Doesn't she look good for 55? <laughs> yes, is the answer. Yes, is the answer to that question. Um, and, you know, and I've talked to my partner, Melanie, about this. Like when we get referred somebody from one of the exes, that's like the biggest like, oh, my God, because I don't care so much what, whether people like me, but I do care whether they think that I'm good at what I do. That still actually really matters to me. Getting someone through this process with their dignity, with them having an understanding that they settled, like we spend an all day in mediation and they come to an agreement about something. If they say, not only was she really compassionate and reasonable about this, but, you know, she did it in a way that didn't make me feel like a gold digger or a grifter or whatever. That makes me feel good. That's what I want people to say. And I would want people to take that away from this experience so that if they did get married again or if their kids are getting married, they are doing it in kind of a reasonable and knowledgeable, intelligent way. Because I really care less of what people think of me. I care more about what they think and how we approach divorce as a society, as a culture. I'd like to see that change even more than it has. Do you feel rich? Yes. Awesome. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do, Laura? Well, let's see. In divorce.com, I think there's like a profile page. The firm is Wasser, Cooperman, and Mandels. I guess you could Google me. And <laughs> I have Instagram, the Laura Wasser official. Thank you so much for your time. Thank really you for having it. me. I really appreciate it. Good to see you.